St. Paul, in that second reading, in his letter, he says that Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God, Father, Creator. I don't know about you, but I can say I've, I've never seen God our Father, although most people, I suppose, would say we see God through creation. That's how I see my God. But Jesus, even though I never saw him physically 200 years, 2,000 years ago, I look at the cross, and that is uh, at least some kind of an image of a human person that walked the face of the earth that we call Jesus. So it's easy to relate to him. And for example, if you told me about your great-great-grandfather who you never met but you had stories of, I would come to know your great-great-grandfather. And I would just trust and believe that that human person was here at, at some time. You could show me pictures and, and it would feel comfortable because, you know, there's a human form there. And so here's the human form in Jesus it's the visible image of the invisible God. And what an incredible statement. With that as the foundation of our scriptures today, we look at these two readings, the first and the second, a kind of an application of the first reading. And it's kind of like a, a layered cake. So if we take the first layer, the first reading, Moses is speaking to the people, and he says, telling them that they should follow the law of God. And they said, he said, it's not a mysterious thing. It's not hard to figure out what it is. You don't have to send somebody up into the skies and the heavens to search for the, the law and then bring it down to us. You don't have to send somebody to a far distant land to find the law of God and then bring it back. It's right here. It's in the heart. Listen to this. We all know what's right. We all know what's good. We do. We don't always do it, but we, we know what it is for the most part. I think. Well, in the gospel today, we get an application of this, and it's, it's a, an incredible story. You know that they call Jesus the master and the teacher. I get it. Why? He was a great teacher, great storyteller, and he knew when to tell a story to make a point, and he could lead somebody, even who was opposed to him, to, to, to come to see the truth, and they just couldn't reject it. So in this famous story, so famous that, that people who don't even know the Bible, you, they, they've heard of the Good Samaritan. Uh, oh, my neighbor, he's a, he's a Good Samaritan. She's a Good Samaritan. We, we use that, that title for people that, um, that live out this story. So, this man, an expert in the law, kind of a lawyer, a, a religious lawyer, comes to Jesus. And you heard the story. And he says, uh, what do I have to do to have this life, this eternal life? So Jesus, uh, it was so wonderful, he, he didn't respond to him as he often doesn't. He didn't give him an answer. He said, you know the law. I mean, he acknowledged, you're an expert in the law. You tell me, how do you read it? So the man gave back the Shema. It's what the Jews say every day, several times a day. Just like we do this, they say the Shema. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. So Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do that, and you will live. We're done. But the story gets really hot now. This expert says, well, um, who's my neighbor? It reminds me of a friend of mine. I told this story before, but Father Jim, he was uh, a good friend. And th about 30 years, 35 years ago, uh, I was reading in the L.A. Times about a restaurant. I think it was called Adagio, down on Melrose. 
And Adagio had this dinner fair on Sundays, I guess, um, and it was more of an experience. In the, in the time then, I think the dinner was 22 bucks, which was a lot of money back there in, you know, 40 years ago, 35 years ago. But it said it's more than a dinner, it's an experience. Not only are there several different courses, but as you eat, there's somebody playing classical violin during the dinner. It's, it was a wonderful experience. So we went. And, um, and we both admitted it was a little expensive, but we said, let's just try it out. Halfway through the dinner, I realized, oh my God, today we just had that story of the rich young man. And we preached on it, you know. The rich young man who went up to Jesus and said, what do I have to do to get eternal life? And um, he says, well, you, you know what to do. You follow the law. And he says, well, I do. I, I pay all my tithes. I fast. I pray. And he listed all the things that he could justify. He could check them off. I do all the things. And by the way, for what it's worth, the law is always the minimal. The law doesn't tell you the most you can do. It tells you the least you have to do. And if you don't do this least, you haven't fulfilled the law. So the law is not... Uh, all that. It's just keeping minimal order. Minimal order. So the rich young man said, well, I follow all the law. I've done all these things. Check, 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 check. So Jesus looked at him, and the gospel actually says, with love. And with love, he said to him, well, if you really want to be perfect, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, then come and follow me. And it says in that gospel that the man walked away very sad because he was very wealthy. Couldn't do it. Jesus was leading to him to a point where he could do something way beyond what's expected. And God only knows what growth and, and what that would have done to his spirit, but he couldn't do it. So this expert in the law asking the minimal and admitting that, you know, he does in the minimum. I follow the laws. Check, check, check. But then he wanted to wiggle out. He wanted to wiggle out. Now, this is an example of it. When we went to that dinner, uh, and I said to Father Jim, I said, oh, you know, we just we heard this gospel today. Oh, my God. And here we are eating this $22 dinner. And he slammed his fist on the table. He got upset with me in a moment. He, he lost it. He says, just tell me how much I have to give. One percent. For him, it was, tell me what I have to do to be justified, to say that I follow the law and I'm okay. The minimal. And I said, you know, I don't think that's what the gospel's about. I think it's the exact opposite. It's about doing the maximum, doing more than we could imagine. Because that's where Jesus leads us. That's where God leads us all the time. He's looking for people that have magnanimous spirit. Like we sang right before the gospel, your word, O Lord, is spirit and truth. It is spirit and truth. It's life. It is life and it gives life. So, the wiggle room is where we try and get out of doing any more that we have to. And this man said, uh, well, you know, I, I do what I'm supposed to do for my neighbor. But his wiggle room was, but who's my neighbor? He wanted to make sure that he, he did what he had to do for his neighbor, but uh, who's my neighbor? Tell me that so I don't have to do more than I have to. So 
Jesus tells this story. Now, I think a modern-day application of this story, and this is awful to say, but I'm going to say it, is Ukraine. Let's just, in a wishful moment, wish that peace would be declared today between Russia and Ukraine. They would come to the table and settle it, and it's over. And tomorrow, tomorrow Ukraine begins the slow and painful process of rebuilding their nation. And let's say a Ukrainian one day is going down the road, and there's a Russian lying on the road, half, beat, half stripped, beaten, dying. A Russian, after what they've been through? That's your neighbor. That's what Jesus would say. There's your neighbor. But only somebody whose spirit had really grown could, I think, approach that that you could still have compassion for your enemy, for somebody who represents a people who have done so much harm to you and your people, your country. And that's what Jesus is playing with. So, as he tells the story, in the story, two people, and they were fellow Jews, because that's obvious from the story. There's a Samaritan and then other and the other are Jews, and this Jew dying on the road because he's been robbed and beaten, left to die, a priest and a Levite, a Levite, uh, the equal of a, of a sacristan. They were obviously on their way to offer sacrifice or do something in the temple, and Jews had strict, strict rites of purity. If you touched blood, uh, a person that was all bloody, you, you were impure from that moment on. And you had to go through purification rites before you could do anything holy. And, and they followed them strictly. This was, this was minimalistic, but still, it, you had to do at least that much. Except that a man was dying. But the priest and the Levite apparently felt they could justify their action. They could say, we would help you under normal circumstances, but this isn't normal. We have to go off for sacrifice. We have to go after sacrifice. So they went. But a Samaritan comes along. And what he sees there is not an enemy. Yeah, he was an enemy. But what he sees there is a human being dying. And immediately he was moved to compassion and mercy. And he acted on it. And the story says he, he didn't do the minimal. He did the maximum. And he, he added on. He he. But right there, poured oil and, and wine on his wounds to clean the, cleanse him and heal him. Then he put him on his beast of burden. He walked and walked him with, the, with him on, on his beast. He takes him to an inn. He pays for him and takes care of his wounds more there. Then he says, look to the innkeeper. i got to go for two days, but I'll come back. Anything you spend, I'll pay you back. And he obviously must have gone there many times because the, the innkeeper said, okay. Now, this man set no limits on what he was going to do to an enemy and a stranger just because he was a human being. And even this expert in the law, who was the minimalist, looked at that and could see, wow. So Jesus asked him the question, who was neighbor to this man on the road dying? And this expert said, the man who showed him mercy. You see where the master, the great teacher, is leading us. He, he doesn't want for us, I think for us, for each of us. He's calling here and inviting because he wants for us to discover this word of God that is alive and that gives life. And actually, 
uh, a way to look at the Word of God, why we keep going over it again and again, year after year, year after year. How many times have we heard this story? Because it's a formative word. It's not a word that you hear it and then you could, you could even give it back without the text. Word for word, maybe, those with great memories. It's not about just saying the word. It's about living the word. So that every time we hear it, it invites us to take one step more. One step more to become that person of mercy and compassion. Today, Jesus is saying, you know, we talk this word, but what's important for us is to walk this word. And the more that we do that, he promises, and I think it's true, the more that we do it, he promises life. And that life will fill us, transform us, and work through us to transform others.